This is episode 21, When is it time to hire an assistant? I could probably talk about this for hours. Yeah, this is something that we both have a lot of experience with. I mean, Kate, when you were in Denver, you had what, five? A team of five you were running? It was about three on average. and That's pretty solid. I'm a big fan. I say- Me too. I hire early. <laughs> yeah, I wish um, I had done it sooner. Hey, I'm Kate Bendewald. And I'm Leslie Myrick. We're interior designers who've been meeting every Friday for coffee to discuss the ins and outs, ups and downs of running our design business and decided to hit the record button. We are designers getting coffee with each other and now you. While some might choose to guard the hard-earned secrets of their design success, we've chosen to support, encourage, and empower one another to be the most kick-ass business owners possible. Welcome to the Designers Getting Coffee podcast, real talk about running your design business with head and heart. Come join the conversation. Episode 21, when is it time to hire an assistant? Hi guys, this is Kate. Today's episode is brought to you by Designers Oasis. I have been wanting to create an online hub for designers to access resources to help you run your business. Designers Oasis is that place to get e-courses, templates, calculators, estimating tools, and more time-saving and confidence-boosting design resources. There will be loads of tools added as I build it out. Right now, you can access the free space planning quick reference guide, a principle to make space planning quick and effortless. You can sign up for upcoming e-course on how to accurately budget for furnishings or join me one-on-one with Mentor by Design if you ever need a quick call to help get you unstuck in your design business. Head on over now to designersoasis.com and stop going it alone. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Kate. How are you doing today? Um, I'll be honest, I've been better. I've had a... <laughs> Is it a womp womp day for Kate? It's, it's, I've had this cough, lingering cough that's been going on for um, well over two weeks now. And I quite frankly, I'm over it. So I finally went to the doctor yesterday and they gave me antibiotics, which I was trying to avoid, but whatever. We'll see. I just started taking them today, but I'm... Yesterday was my birthday, and there's no way to better way to feel youthful and young than <laughs> going to the doctor with a hacking cough that makes your back hurt because you've coughed so hard. <laughs> Happy terrible. birthday, Bendawal! Not the best birthday ever, but no, it was great. It was it was a great day. Um, but yeah, no, I'm <laughs> hopefully on the up and up. Thanks. How are you? Good. I'm a lot better than that, I think. <laughs> Yeah, we are getting settled here in Georgia. I'm working hard on website updates and digital marketing. I just started working with a digital marketing expert here in Macon to help me with some Facebook ads. I know I'm dabbling into the world of paid advertising. So I'm excited to see where where things are going to grow for my business and excited to be busy enough to need some more help in the coming weeks and months. Segue into today's topic. We're going to be talking about when it's time to hire an assistant. I could probably talk about this for hours. Yeah. Well, what, one funny thing about this, you guys may have picked up on previous episodes. So our friend Tammy, she used to work with me and she was my design and project management assistant. And then when I moved out of state, she now works for Kate. So I stole her. You did. You've stolen the most fabulous assistant in, love her. on the planet next to my other fabulous assistant. So they're both awesome. 
I remember the light bulb moment that I had when I was like, why have I been working this long and this hard without a paid assistant? Um, I had done internship programs with the universities in the past where there were interns that worked um, for me for school credit. I did pay them because I didn't feel right not paying them. Uh, that's my personal preference. Um, but I wasn't billing them out, which was such a dodo head move for me. But needless to say, I learned from that mistake. Um, but yeah, one night I was, uh, I, I defer to my husband quite a bit on um, math things when it comes to my business. He's just really good at helping me. Uh, I, I feel like I've gotten better and I don't ask him for help anymore. But at that phase of my life, I was very much like, hey, how should I plan for this? How should I decide if you know, financially, if this is the right move to make. Uh, he's a big spreadsheet nerd, uh, as am I. So one night we sat and looked at the numbers of, you know, what am I charging my client for my time? What work could I delegate and what would I bill them out at? And when I did the math and realized like I could make more money and do less work, not do less work, but like delegate some of the work that, um, you know, I didn't need to be returning stuff to the store if it didn't work out for a project. I didn't need to be doing a lot of the running around that I was doing and needed the help. And I was getting too busy. I was having to tell clients that their projects were going to take, you know, six weeks to start. Um, and yeah, when we did the math and I realized, wait a second, I can get through this project quicker. It'll be a little bit less expensive for the client, but I'm still going to make more money. I was like, this is genius. <laughs> I felt like I had just cracked the, code, but, um, yeah, it's something that people have known for a long time and it was, it was a new thing for me. And ever since then I've had employees. Yeah. You made a really good point. You went fast over it and I'm going to bring it back because it's so important. Okay. Your <laughs> assistants should be billable. Almost always they are. I think it would be very rare to start out hiring somebody that you could not bill in some form or another. And typically when you have somebody helping you on a project, you can bill them out on average, and you know, obviously you get to choose, but on average, you would bill somebody out at three times what you pay them. So if you're paying somebody $25 an hour to help you, you can bill them out at around $75 an hour. Guys, it is a no-brainer to hire help when you can bill them for more than you are paying them. And I know it's scary to take that first leap, but when you are busy like Kate was saying she was, it's going to free you up to do more of what you can only do and what you do best. And you are still making money having those other people work for you. Like bring it on. It's such an awesome business model to dive into when you're ready for it. Right. So the question was, when, when do you know you're ready? And, um, you know, I think this answer is going to be different for a number of people, but if you've, if you've got one project, you're, you're ready. <laughs> It's time. And I, I err on the side of, um, I'm hiring earlier than one might think. Um, I was always afraid of what if, what if we don't have any projects? What if we don't have the work that comes in? And A, that never happened because I had help. I had time to spend on business development. Um, number one, but I don't know. There was just something like I, I felt, I guess I felt not obligated, but just, I was always really encouraged to make sure that we had projects coming in. So the work was always there for me. And that said, 
I arrange, I've always arranged my staff in a, in a position where they're contracted employees. Um, and I don't make any guarantees for a minimum number of hours. And so, sorry, you said contracted employee, but you mean a contracted so, yeah. worker, not contracted a W-2 worker, not employee. An, correct. So okay. thank you for clarifying because uh, we should make the distinction. Um, a W-2 employee is somebody that's going to be on your payroll. And for that person, you're um, they're going to get a regular paycheck and you're going to be ha- taking out withholdings for uh, how do you use, like unemployment insurance, disability, those sort of things and paying into that. Um, and then a contracted employee is a 1099 and you're going to pay them whatever their billable rate is. They're going to invoice you and... Um, you pay them that way and then they're responsible for paying whatever taxes they are uh, expected to pay. Um, my old accountant made it very clear on how to hire a contracted worker. So, um, I'm going to spell this out how I know it to be always refer to your, um, accountant or CPA on, um, what's the right situation for you. But the main difference is that, um, a contracted worker is somebody who, um, needs to meet a couple of these requirements. One, they're going to use their own equipment. So that means they probably need to bring their own laptop. Um, that would be considered a big one. If they're using your equipment, then they should be considered an employee. Um, and in our industry, the laptop is like the big thing, you know, if it was a plumbing person, like it would be like plumber guy needs to bring his own equipment. (laughs) So that's one big distinction. Um, they should be able to set their own hours. Um, you guys can negotiate on what times and days you need them to work, but, um, it should be, um, they should have that flexibility to set their own hours. Um, oh gosh, what's the other one, Leslie? There's another big one. Well, I mean, the own hours thing is important. Like technically they are autonomous and on their own schedule. Yeah. The other one is that they have the freedom to do the same type of work for other designers. Yes. That's a big, important one. You cannot yeah. have um, a non-compete. Or no, you can, like, oh. you can have a non, you can oh. have a non-compete. Um, what am I thinking of then? You no, they can, it, it, the difference would be like, if they wanted to turn around and start their own company doing interior design, you can draft a non-compete with that language, but they could go work for another designer as an assistant, that sort of thing. So make sure that you get clear on what, what the rules are for your state. Um, I, I don't know if it changes from state to state, um, but I know that generally those are the federal guidelines. So um, for me with a contracted employee, I would have a contract that said, you know, I need a minimum number of this, this many hours a week from you. Um, you're expected to bring your laptop. It's a, you're expected to have all of the software. Um, I would pay for some of the software that they were required to have. Um, I think that's fine. Um, and they would be expected to keep track of their time and um, invoice me and then they would get paid. So also, you know, I, I explained to them that there's no guaranteed number, minimum number of hours and they had to be okay with that. Yeah, and I'm in the same it's boat. Wor- it's worked out. Um, I think with me. the way things are changing in the world today. I think there's a lot of people who want this flexible freelancer contracted lifestyle. I think it's very appealing. I know, you know, there's part of me that sometimes feels bad that I can't guarantee hours, but I've also hired people, contracted people who, who get it 
and they know what they're signing up for. They know when things are good, when things are good, when things are busy, there's going to be more for them. And they also know and understand, which I am so grateful for that as a independent business owner, as someone who's trying to start a new business in a new city again, then I can't, I can't make any promises about income. And I think, you know, just like in the last episode, our Q&A episode, episode 20, we talked about managing client expectations. I think it's really important to manage your contractors, your assistants' expectations about that from day one. Because I do think contracting employees or help or assistants is a great way to start. I don't think there's many design firms that are in a position to jump right into W-2 employees. And even big name designers, I'll use Kimberly Selden as an example because she shared this publicly on her podcast. She's gone from a model of employees. I used to be one of her employees when I was first out of design school to her, almost her entire staff being contracted. And she loves it. They love it. it. It's a model that really works. And I think savvy companies are jumping on this idea of contracted help for very specific tasks and roles instead of jack of all trade employees that, you know, you kind of have to keep busy and find work for because you've, you've promised something to them. Correct. Yeah. I mean, early on, I was, there was a lot of guilt for me associated with or fear around hiring because I was afraid that I wouldn't have to work and that I was going to have to let somebody go and let them down. And I think that what changed for me was setting that expectation up and finding people to work for me that, um, I, I didn't realize there were people out there that would be okay <laughs> with having a situation like this. Cause I've always needed to have reliable and steady income, but there are people out there, whether they're students and they really are doing it for the experience or whether they have another spouse who, whose income really covers their expenses and they're just doing it for experience or what, whatever the reason is people have their reasons, but there are people who you can hire and set that expectation up that, um, you can't guarantee the work. Our work has seasonality to it. I personally take three weeks off at the end of the year and between Christmas and New Year's. And I don't expect somebody to be working for me during that time. So, um, once I realized that I could just set that expectation up, I was like, okay, this will work. I can do this. Yeah. And I've never had to let somebody go because we didn't have work. That's awesome. It feel, yeah, I mean, it feels good, but that fear has, has always been there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I would just say that if you're thinking about hiring somebody, you know, find somebody that does have that flexibility. If they're the sole breadwinner and they've got three kids, like this they're might probably not be not right, your person. This pro- probably isn't the right job for them. And I mean, maybe if they're amazing and you think they would crush it at the job and you want to take that risk on them, you can, but that's, that's a risk they're going to take too. And, and, uh, yeah. So finding the right person. I also think, and I'm maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you're bringing someone on, like you said, the sole breadwinner mom of three, if she's working full time for you, that's really not a contractor role. That would be the time where, as far as I understand that kind of goes past the boundaries of what a contractor would look like. I'm not certain. I don't think so. I no. don't think so. I think I I don't know this 110%, but I would say with a good amount of certainty that you can have a contracted worker that works full time for you. Okay. 
I've never, uh, I've the, never been that busy. So the <laughs> only reason, I, well, when I was working at Oz Architecture, we had a lot of contracted architects who were there nine to five, Monday through Friday. Um, That's fair. And as long as it's on their terms, they can, they can be there nine to five, Monday to Friday. Yeah. I see that. So I, I don't think that's a stipulation, but like I said, check with your people. Yeah. So guys, so here's the business model, right? It's, um, you've got a limited amount of capacity. There's only one you and you need help. You've got clients, you've got projects. You need somebody that can pick up the slack and help you do the things that, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to be doing. Um, you pay them their hourly rate. You put them on billable work. For me, I try to get my, um, assistance doing tasks that are billable to a client. So for example, I don't pay for a social media manager. I, I should probably, but, um, you know, nobody can bill that out. Um, while that's something that you could choose to pay for, um, that's not something that you can bill out to a client, but somebody that can help you with sourcing, somebody that can help you with writing your specifications, somebody that can go to the showrooms and pick up samples that can do returns that can meet with a tradesperson, you know, to check on things and, and see how progress is going do site visits, take photos, report back to you, write emails. Um, I mean, right now I have Tammy helps with scheduling all of the things. <laughs> and I hate scheduling stuff and she's helped me schedule, you know, photo shoots and site visits and, uh, uh, uh consultations, brain fart, um, <laughs> and all of the things. And those are, are, are all billable work. And so, um, I think, Tammy, you – sorry, Tammy. Leslie. We're interchangeable. Yeah. It's fine. Go on. <laughs> for the longest time, I called her Leslie. And now <laughs> now I have Melissa working for me, and I keep calling her Whitney. And I'm just like, oh, come on, Kate. Get it through your head. Anyway, I know everybody's names. I just – I put you in my brain. You're in the same little, like, pocket. So it's mutual affection. It's like calling your kids the the, the, the cat's name. name. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing that with Hasley <laughs> and the cat lately. She, the cat's been getting called yeah. Hasley and Hasley's been getting called Pika. <laughs> it happens. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, I see you notes that you um, expect for their time to at least 50% of it to be billable. Is that kind of your target? Yeah, number? you know, I realized... Um, so when I first hired an assistant, I hired Samantha, who still works with me. We've been together like three and a half years now. She's, I love her. She's awesome. And so she's gotten a little bit more specific now with her role. And she really is more admin, client relations, not as much billable. But in general, my goal with her was to have at least 50% of her time be billable. Like there were going to be other admin things I needed help with so that if she could, I don't know, say pay a couple of invoices, that freed me up for 30 minutes to do billable work to bring in more money. So it still made more economical sense for her to do non-billable work because it allowed me to do billable work. But in general, if you're starting out with an assistant, someone on your team, it's really good to make sure that a good chunk of their time is billable so that it is not an expense for you right out the gate, but something that will bring in income and keep your business going. There's no hard and fast rule. Um, when it comes to having a junior designer, and we'll kind of dive into roles and who we think you should hire first in a little bit, 
but I've heard numbers like a junior designer should be around 80% billable. And that makes sense. If their role is design, they are working primarily on design projects, which are billable. I think for an admin person, the number will be different. And that's why for Samantha, I was aiming for around 50, just because I knew that would still bring in a steady stream of income to cover her cost with me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I have a little bit more, I I guess 70% is my target for whatever the role is, but I could see how that could change for the roles too. Um, I will say that knowing your numbers is super important to making this decision. Um, And when I say knowing your numbers, it means things like knowing how many hours it takes you to do a project, Mm -hmm. knowing what exact tasks you would delegate down um, and how many hours do those tasks take. I use Harvest as my timekeeping app and I love it because um, I have already there's a template for every project. Anytime I create a new project, there are already pre-populated tasks in um, the project. And um, anytime somebody clocks in to work on a project, they're not only keeping track of their time and what client it's for, but they're um, it's task specific. So if they switch from, you know, sourcing to a site visit for the same client, I'm going to know, how much of that time was for sourcing, how much of that time was for the site visit. And so I get really good information. At the end of a project, I can go back and I can look at this project and see, you know, how many hours did we actually spend on the project? How how good were my estimates when I proposed on the project? So if I tell a client it's going to be 100 hours, for example, um, and then I've got my back of house math and I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's going to cost, it's going to be 20 hours to do or five hours to do onboarding, 20 hours to do concept, 40 hours to do design work. And then another, how, I lost track of my math, but whatever the difference is for the installation and in procurement. procurement and all, yeah. All that business, you know, where my estimates, what it actually took. And so moving forward, I can revise future proposals when I can see how much things actually take how long things actually take so it just takes getting some projects under your belt um to get this data and to get this information but if you you can't measure what you don't track as they say and so if you're not keeping good track of your time then you're really going to be winging it and i I mean when you're first starting out there's always going to be some winging it but at some point you really need to be taking very um capturing good information so you can run a, a, a more profitable business. Now I like it because I like harvest because I turn on the timer and it just goes in the background. But, um, I also think you could do this on a spreadsheet. Like if you didn't want to pay for something like that, but yep. or if you I use design it, software like Ivy, it's built in some other programs have it too. There's a yeah. million ways. Don't let time tracking be an obstacle. There's a lot of ways to do it analog or through an app that's digital. Totally. But it is important, especially when you are paying someone else for hours, you need to know what their hours are being spent on and how to bill them. You mentioned earlier about not billing out your assistance at first. And I think a lot of people do make that mistake and struggle with that because it sort of feels weird or uncomfortable, I guess. But it's not, you're not in business to be a courtesy to your clients. I mean, that's billable work and it should be billed. There's Nobody would have employees or contractors if it weren't part of their bottom line. 
I can't, I can't fathom not billing my, my people. Yeah. <laughs> just can't. So, um, yeah, I will say one more thing just about time tracking is for me, it makes it easy for my employees. I, I'm just calling them employees, even though they're contracted workers. Um, they export their timesheet, um, each at the end of the month and that's how they invoice me. And then that's also how we invoice our clients. So, um, for me, it, just makes life easier and Love it. more and more accurate. So I do recommend using something. Um, but yeah, don't let it be a barrier. Okay. Um, I want to dive into who to hire first. That's what I was going to ask you oh, too. Good. I've got thoughts yeah. on this one. I do too. What, um, who would be your first hire? A bookkeeper. Who would be your first hire? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> after that. <laughs> and you know what? That, that being said, guys, if you, unless bookkeeping is your jam, and I have a coaching client that did the interior design business kickstart kit with me who came from the world of bookkeeping and accounting. So for her, doing her own books is a no-brainer. Unless you are an accountant or bookkeeper, that is probably the role you're going to want to hire out first. I cannot tell you how many Do you hours- bill out your bookkeeper's uh, hours? No, I don't. Not directly. Okay. Especially because I'm moving more to a flat fee model for projects. But I just found that trying to- have the bookkeeper itemize everything wasn't worth it. It really feels nickel and dimey to me, although it is legit. And I'm not saying if you do it, you shouldn't, but I'm just trying to make sure that there are enough margins in my hourly rate, in my product sales. If I am procuring for a client that it covers the cost of a bookkeeper, but okay. You can so let's just assume you ha- you have a bookkeeper on staff. You may or may not build them out. Yeah. Who's the next hire? All I'm so- okay. Hold on. We finished the bookkeeper thing, and I'll tell you why. Sorry. I hired- That's okay. I got <laughs> I got so much to say on this. So here's <laughs> here's when I knew it was time to hire a bookkeeper. There was one month I spent twelve hours. Twelve hours, my friends. Think about how many dollars that is if I were doing design and that was being billed. Twelve hours trying to reconcile my books for the month because I was off by 60 cents and could not figure out for the life of me where I had goofed up. And if you know anything about accounting, you need to not be off ever. After I wasted 12 hours and pretty much pulled my hair out, I decided no more. It is worth every every penny to have some help with that. So if you are, if there's a role, maybe it's not bookkeeping for you, but it probably is. If there is a role where you're just riding the struggle bus every month to try to make it happen, then that's probably where you should start. But yes, after a bookkeeper, your (laughs) instinct is probably junior designer. Not so good friend. I do not think you need design help. You might, you might, but I think the next step is something to do with administration, whether it's procurement, whether it's marketing, whether it's just general office admin, handling your calendar, emails, things like that. Can I just say you say admin so Canadian-like? Is that a Canadian thing to say admin? Ed, ed, admin. Oh, admin. admin. Well, admin. Make me, cool. Well, my admin. <laughs> <laughs> I get so nervous with my Canadian shows. I'm proud of it, but I'm like, does that really sound like that? <laughs> Your admin person. Yes. It's cute. It's a boot time to talk about admin. So we're going to go with that. You don't say projects. Who says project? I say projects. No, you say projects, oh. but other Canadians say projects. My dad says schedule and it drives me crazy instead of schedule. Oh, God. Anyway. It's like, it's like saying wash. Like, ah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Side track. I digress. Um, yes. So I do think after bookkeeping, which I, I, I really think is the number one thing you need to have in order and have help with in order for your business to be 
running like it should, um, is someone to do administrative, whether it's like a VA, a virtual assistant, someone in person, but someone to help take the admin crapola off your plate so that you can be the face of your business, so that you can be doing the in-person networking, so that you can be leading the design and get get things done and get them done well and not be mucking in your calendar or scheduling or tracking that dumb table that got shipped to another state by mistake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did we talk about that in this episode? In the last episode, episode you mentioned. Yeah. Kate had like an entire order of furniture shipped to the wrong state. What? Hold on. Let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven pieces of upholstery. You sound like the count from Sesame Street. Ah, ah, ah. Seven pieces of upholstery. Anyway. Seven pieces. So, yeah. So, for, for me, my um, – I call her a project manager. Um, she does things like tra- tracking furniture. Um, she'll go to site visits and take photos and videos and just check on progress. She will um, – do things like, uh, I mean, she goes with me to meetings and she takes notes for me so that I can focus on, I, I'm not one of those people that can write and talk at the same time. I have to be a hundred percent engaged, um, or else I don't take any notes at all. So she's really helpful with that. And then she'll go type them up for us. And, um, she will go to the tile showroom and pick up samples and, drop off fabric at the drapery, like all the errands, all the running around. I hate running errands. I don't know why I really despise it. And there's a lot of running around in our business and I still do some things, but, um, you know, this frees me up to do design work. So I think the point here is generally speaking as creatives, we need to be focusing on getting, uh, getting our help in the areas doing the things that we like doing the least. Like I don't want to necessarily delegate picking out things because I really enjoy that thing and nobody's going to pick out or source the things the way that I want them or how how I've tried and I end up going back and changing it. I'm getting better at delegating that because it's, I've had to. Um, But yeah, it's getting the things off your plate that you like doing the least. Yeah. I love your point about you, you know, accidentally getting rid of the stuff you love to do. I made the mistake of hiring a junior design assistant too early. And basically, I had to give her all the fun stuff that I wanted to be doing because I had to keep her busy. I mean, I hadn't promised her hours, but she did have a certain number that she was kind of expecting from me every week. And so instead of me getting to work on floor plans and space planning and making design selections, I ended up kind of handing off so much to her that I really wanted to be doing. And then it was so backwards because I ended up handling more of the admin and more of the tasks that she should have been doing. So basically I had the wrong person by hiring a junior designer first And I really wish that instead of that, I had hired an administrator. So it worked the way it worked out with her. I ended up having to, um, she moved and it didn't make sense for us to continue. So we sort of, we parted ways. But when I then went and hired Samantha, my wonderful, amazing Samantha, who I adore, she was able to take the crap off my plate to allow me to actually do the work that I shine at. And that only I can do. So she 
you know, pays vendors. She, ironically, she pays herself. <laughs> She's on the list. That's hilarious. I know we did this for a while because it was like, I don't have to be the one to, to click the button on PayPal or Venmo or whatever it is. And I, I trust her. So she pays herself and pays the rest of, when there is more of a team, she pays the rest of the team. She, you know, she does the procurement for me. She gathers quotes. She prepares proposals. I look everything over, but I can really focus on being the creative, being the visionary, being the face of the company while she is truly an assistant in that she is assisting me to be the best business owner that I can be. And that is worth a million dollars. So yeah, that's, that's my long rant about junior designer, not yet, admin assistant, probably who you need. And I know it's difficult to think of handing anything off your plate. You know, most likely you've gotten to where you are today because you have bootstrapped it. You've had to do everything yourself. You've had to figure out marketing and admin and scheduling and ordering. And there comes a time where it's just not economical and feasible for you to be doing this all on your own anymore. And when you think about it, like Kate mentioned earlier, there are going to be things that need to be done by you. There really are. That's why it's your business. There are things that even if you maybe enjoy them or don't hate them, don't need to be done by you. Those things like Kate mentioned, sample returns, um, admin, scheduling, ordering, and those are great tasks to hand off to free you up to do more of what you do best. Yeah. She even, she'll even do write the specifications. So we use gather for sourcing. Uh, you guys, a lot of people use Ivy, similar thing. Uh, so once I pick out the thing and I, it checks all the boxes for me, price, size, look, style, and all of that. I'll hand it off to her and be like, here, put this in. Yep. And whatever. So it, it makes projects go faster. It makes you more profitable. Um, yeah. Well, here's a block a lot of designers hit, and you probably felt the same way, Kate, is that onboarding a new assistant, yes, it's going to take longer at the beginning. And I think a lot of people go through the struggle of, well, oh, it's just, it's faster to do it myself. I don't have the time to train somebody right now. I don't have, you know, I can't afford to show her how to do this. And that's one of those things where I know we said it before, it's really important to hire before you need it. And even if you haven't been, you know, foresightful enough to do that, understand that it's going to pay off in dividends for you to invest the time up front in somebody, teach them how to do it and stop holding on to doing every little thing yourself. Even if it is faster in the moment, you've got to have a long-term vision. And by teaching, if you teach a man to fish, he will eat for a lifetime. Teach your people to fish. For you. We talk, we talk about the long game a lot around yeah. here. And this is one of those playing the long game things. I recently brought on my second employee. And this was the first time I've hired an actual employee. So she's not a contractor. That's right. She is a W-2, and, isn't she? Yeah. And in this situation, it, it's worked. Uh, this was the right fit for her and for me. Um, but one of the time-saving things that I did that... Um, First of all, you guys read the book Clockwork by Mike Mike McCallowitz. He wrote Profit First. Um, So this is one of the things he proposes doing, and it's I love it. So I use Loom 
if you want to put these in the shoe notes, <laughs> you just wrote shoe notes. I typed, stop giving away so, my bad typing while we're recording. So, <laughs> I, I don't even know why I mentioned that. Anyway, um, and put, put also in there Loom. So Loom videos is what I use. Um, what I did is as I was taking her through all of the training things that I needed to teach her. So I needed to teach her like how to use our timekeeper, you know, because she's not only recording her time in there, but she's recording expenses and mileage and that sort of thing. That's also billable to clients. Um, I had to teach her how to use gather. I had to teach her how, um, we like to just do certain things. Like where do we store things in Dropbox? Where to giving her a tour of Dropbox and where everything is, where to put them, where to find things. Um, and so his advice is to capture your processes in a video format I love um, that. versus typing up like the process, which nobody reads and gets outdated really quickly. Um, what we did is we would launch Loom and I would record the process of me teaching it to her. So and at the end, I would ask her, do you have any questions? And she would often ask great questions that I hadn't thought of covering. And so that becomes part of our, we have a database now of videos on how to do certain things. So, you know, when she's first starting, I'm showing her so much. And I think you can forget a lot because you're having to learn so much right away. Um, this gives them a place to go back and rewatch those videos. We keep them short, you know, th max five minutes, but usually around three minutes. Um, you know, if I taught her how to do something and we captured it in this Loom video, she can go back to those videos and find it and rewatch it just to refresh her memory on how I want to do certain things. So then I'm not reteaching her over and over again. And also the next time I need to hire someone, I don't have to go through all of this again. I, I was going to say that. You did it once. Videos. Boom, Bendewald. Yeah. I love and it. And then if you need to update it or you need to change how you're doing things, you're not having to rewrite an entire manual. You're just going to make a quick video. I love Loom. This is not an advertisement for Loom, but I will just say. But it should be if you want to sponsor it, us. It, Loom, if you want to sponsor us. Um, it's so simple. You literally click, uh, you launch the app and then you tell it what you want it to record, whether you want it to be your whole desk or just a certain app. And then it does a countdown. You can also record your face if you want to put your mug in there. Um, and it'll record um, whatever you say and whatever you do on screen. and then. Um, as soon as you click stop, it creates a link and it goes to your library and then you can create folders and you can organize them. So I have Loom videos for clients where I show them how to use Gather once they access it. Clients are always asking me, how do I share my Pinterest board with you? I got tired of answering that question. So I created a video. Now they can watch that on Loom. I have um, videos in there for my bookkeeper. I have videos in there for my staff. And so I love it. It's a much quicker way to capture your processes so that you're not having to teach it over and over and over again. Because let's be honest, like if you're hiring students, especially your interns, they're gonna not be around for years and years. You're gonna be teaching this more than once. Yeah. And, um, so save yourself the time and the headache and, and capture that information. But yeah, Loom for the win. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fantastic. And that takes out a little bit of that scary factor of like, oh, every time I hire someone, I have to spend all this time. And that's not necessarily true. There are ways that you can use digital tools, databases, Loom, video sharing, all sorts of ways to have processes and systems documented so that they're easy to explain. And this doesn't happen overnight, guys. Like you're not going to have a full built out training system when you're first 
person steps through the door. But this is the time to do that, to develop those things, figure it out and try your best to stay present with a new employee or assistant and not just sort of blow through and you gotta do this, this, and this, because that just, it overwhelms people. The better you can set up these systems for an assistant now, the better and smoother and more profitable things are going to run for you as you move forward. I will say that once you do have a small team, I would delegate that recording process down too. So I had Tammy, I had Tammy make videos on how to do certain things and she has the sweetest little voice in her recording. She's so professional. Um, Yeah. And so not only does that work come off of my plate so I could focus on the things that are my zone of genius, um, it actually reinforces the process for her when, when you're made to teach something. Yeah. So um, eventually you can, can get to that. But yeah, I do think that your um, project manager or your admin person should be the first hire and that um, the second one should be a junior designer. And that's what I've just done with Melissa. And I love, love, love it. Um, she has helped me just blow through a number of projects and um, I really trust her with sourcing. She has, you know, she understands my eye and what I go after. <laughs> and um, she also picks things that I wouldn't necessarily have chosen, but I love it, you know? And so um I like the ability to have a you know second set of designer eyes on things. Um, I ha- I hate having to make decisions by myself sometimes. I just want somebody to like confirm that I'm like, what do you think of this choice or which one of these would you pick? And it's just nice to have those eyes around. Tammy's great with that too. She helps source as well. But um, yeah, your run. I would say run the numbers for yourself. Like mm-hmm. do a. I recently did this for myself, um, and I would recommend you do it for your own project. But I took my um, spreadsheet, my nerdy spreadsheet that I have that outlines the different phases of the projects and the different tasks involved with each um, each phase. And then in the columns to the right, I used to only have one column that was, you know, how many hours does it take? to source a typical, you know, kitchen or whatever. Um, but I ended up creating three new columns, one for me, one for Tammy and one for Melissa, so that I would be able to say, okay, it takes 10 hours you know, or 20 hours or whatever to source for this project is what I'm estimating, but who's going to be doing the majority of that? Oh, I like and this. And so then I can put in, you know, how many, and for me, I just created like a a typical one. And then that's my template. And then anytime I get a new project, I'll go in and I'll tailor those numbers specific to that project into the scope of work. Um, but then it, um, those numbers all get added up per phase and then it goes to the, the main cover, um, uh, page sheet. Thank you. (laughs) The different, a different sheet. And in there it summarizes who's doing the work, how many hours in each phase. And then I have their billable rate and then they're, you know, if they're getting, if 70% of their hours are billable, then I know what my, I hate to call it profit. I mean, it is what that is, but it's also, it. I have to explain, I don't feel like I have to, but I tell my people like, this isn't just like money going into my pocket. This is money that goes back into the business to help run the business and 
this, you know, is just what it takes to run a business. But, um, I could see how I can make it more affordable for the client. And then I also make more money and I'm creating jobs for people. So I think it's a win all around, but you definitely have to do those numbers to figure out where do you need them to be, um, percentage wise to make sure that you're, you're making a profit. So I do that at the project level. And then I also do it on an annual level. So I say, okay, if so-and-so is working 40 hours out of the year, they're averaging 30 hours a week. What percentage, you know, do I need them to be at of billable hours to, um, to make this work? Yeah. Now I have a question. Yeah. Or did you? Well, I was just going to make the point of, while we do say hire before you need it, like don't wait. You also can't be in the dark about your numbers. You need to be looking at, that doesn't mean you shouldn't hire. It just means you should know where you're at and what employees are going to cost, what you can build them out at and how it's going to be for your business. What were you going to say, Kate? Well, so I was going to ask, um, I am pretty much, so I, I kind of do a hybrid model of billing now where if I estimate for a design, I don't tell my clients that it's a flat fee, but in my mind, if we go over on hours in design, unless there was a huge change order, um, I stick to that number. Um, like I don't bill them for more hours if we go over, I don't tell them that because I want them to be accountable and not shoot the, you know what, I have clients that love to just chit chat after, after like a site visitor walk through. I'm like, guys, I got things to do. (laughs) So this keeps them on track and keeps them from, you know, making the hours really balloon. But, um, then after that, everything is billable. Um, so it's, almost like flat fee for design and then billable after that for project management procurement. Um, or whatever, we'll talk about that in another episode, but needless to say, it brings up the question of like, okay, so if you're doing a flat fee model, how do you consider, cause that's what you're doing now, right? How do you Not consider? Not exclusively, but I'm okay. trying. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like yours, like design is flat fee, but procurement and implementation can't always be. We did talk about more um, of this topic in episode seven. If you guys want to go back and listen to that, it's all about how do we charge for our design services? Yeah. So I just, the one thing I don't have a lot of expertise on because I don't do it is how um, one would do this for flat fee. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that anytime I've done commercial projects, I've done them at a flat fee and I just, I just estimate for worst case scenario. Like I'm going to assume that the client is going to take a one hour meeting and double it because they want to talk. <laughs> I'm going to assume that, you know, you know, what's going to hit the fan during construction and we're going to have to redesign something. So <laughs> I tell my clients like, look, I base this on worst case scenario. So it's in your best interest to do billable because <laughs> I don't want to do flat fee. I've been burned by it. We've talked about this before. Yeah. But there are a lot of designers who have a lot of success with flat fee. They feel more comfortable with it. And so Godspeed, I just can't speak to that um, me- method of model of working because it's not what I, what I do. Right. Makes sense. Well, I think we need to start wrapping it up, but there's one thing I want to talk about before we do, and that is how do you find 
a great assistant. How have oh, you had, I know we, this could probably be its whole other episode. I steal them from my friends who move. Dang, right you do. You took my Tammy right out from under me. No, we. I will say guys, we joke about it, but it was definitely a mutually beneficial agreement for all three of us. It was not, no no underhandedness. I was literally leaving the state. I didn't have a job no, for No, she Tammy was, anymore. and then Melissa, yeah, and then Melissa was working for another friend of mine who moved uh, to Austin. And while I am super, super sad that y'all are, both gone and I miss y'all. Um, I feel lucky that I get to have your lovely people who are just wonderful. Yeah. So besides taking my assistance, how, <laughs> how have you deal high level? Cause we're, this could be another hour. How have you found good help, whether it's bookkeeping, whether it's admin, whether it's design, and maybe those are all different ways you've looked, but where are ways that you have found how 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 do you find the people that are good honestly when i was in denver i pillaged the student body i i had a great relationship with the universities there who had interior design programs and would ask them to send me their best students and i almost 99% of the time every single one of them was outstanding the one time i had somebody basically cold call me and say hey i've always been interested in interior design this is my expertise um, which was not interior design. Um, you know, I'm just wondering, do you, are you looking to hire anybody? And I ended up hiring her, um, cause I was busy and I didn't hire her to do design. I hired her to do something else, but, uh, it, I just wasn't great. And I had, it was the first time I ever had to let somebody go. And Aww. it was so hard. I cried. She cried. It was terrible. I hated it. But, um, so I've always had really good exp- experiences with the universities. Um, occasionally I've had some people who, um, you know, could, could have done things better, but generally speaking, they know the industry, they know the language, they know kind of how the design process. And so anytime I've hired somebody who didn't know any of that stuff, it, it just, I felt like I was starting from the ground Even up. for an admin role, you want someone that knows design? Yeah. If somebody doesn't know how purchase order works oh, and tracking and like trade pricing and how that all works. Well, like that's not design industry exclusive though. But I, I, mean, see, I see what you're it's saying. Not, it's not an area of expertise that people have. So yeah. for me, it's always been, I've had the best as success with people who have some sort of interior design education. Interesting. But I will, I will tell you too that I like posted a job on one of those job boards and it was a nightmare, like rifling through just people who had zero experience zero interest in the industry. So that was just a huge waste of my time and energy. And I regretted at the moment I started getting um, applications and I felt obligated to respond to each and every one of them, which I probably shouldn't have, but that was how I felt personally. Um, I will say one more takeaway from this same book, uh, Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. He makes this recommendation when you're writing your job description to do a really long format job description. Um, I think he has an example on his website, but basically it's a very specific outline of what the job entails, what you need to be good at, what you'll be doing, what a typical day looks like, what skills you need to have. And then at the very bottom, he buries the lead where he says, all right, if you think this job is perfect for you and you would do it for free, even though we're going to pay you. And then gives very specific, I want you to email me and I want the subject line to say that, and you spell it out exactly what yes. you want the subject line to say. I was going to give this tip too. Oh, if you get anything, and I did this on my last one, it was great. And the, in, if anybody applies 
who doesn't do that very specific thing, then you can weed them out because they clearly don't know how to follow directions. They didn't read completely. They weren't thorough enough. And that's the kind of person you need working for you. That's a great filter is to have like a a sneaky test in your job posting. Yeah. 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 I think that's great. Like, and I mean, and it doesn't have to be sneaky. It's just clear instructions. Email this address with this subject line or, you know, include the, like just you want to give them a little task so you know that they've been paying attention. That's great. Yeah, I, I've definitely made that mistake before of like posting a job but not really putting any clear instructions. Like, I don't know, like who to email? What do I need you to send me? Mm-hmm. Do you need a por- do you need to send a portfolio, a resume, cover letter, references, you know, any of that? And so it would end up being a lot of emailing back and forth to a number of people. And that was a huge waste of time. So um I definitely recommend you guys go read the book Clockwork by Mike McCallowitz. Um, check out Loom and yeah, let us know if you feel like you're you're ready to hire. We want to hear about it, celebrate with you. Yeah, that Talk sounds through. good. Yeah, I think hiring is going to be a whole separate episode because I've got I've got so much more to say about this. Um, yeah, let's let's wrap this up and take us home. So, key takeaways we want you to remember: hire before you need it. That way, you have time to onboard somebody well, and you're not just coming from a place of total reaction and stress and freaking out when you've got someone in the door. Yeah. I think set really clear expectations with the person that you're hiring. Um, if you're afraid, you know, that, that you might not be able to provide steady work, make sure that that's something they understand and they're comfortable with signing up so that you don't feel guilty if, you know, you need to lower their hours or even let them go. But, um, it can be a way to ease yourself into the, the world of being a boss. Yep. And (laughs) Like we've said a few times in this episode, we definitely recommend hiring an admin person or a bookkeeper, someone to help with the nuts and bolts of the behind the scene, behind the scenes. Maybe it's a project manager before you hire design help. Design help will come, but that's not necessarily the best first hire for a designer. Yeah. And just make sure that you're tracking time and you're capturing good numbers and know your numbers um, and make sure that you're billing them out to your clients. Boom. Boom. (laughs) Mic drop. There you go. Now you know everything about hiring. No, we will dive into this more. I think that's a great future episode is how to hire help and some experiences we've had and we can help lead you guys through too. I think also we should talk about how to be a boss, like how to be a leader. How to be a boss. That's a good um, one. It's something that I... um, I'd love to hear your, your, you guys, your questions, if you have questions on this, but I, um, it wasn't natural for me at first and I was ending up like doing the work anyway. And it's, it's a whole other conversation, but, um, becoming a mentor and teaching people how to find answers for themselves and getting them to come up with their own solutions is a big part of being a leader and being a boss so that you're not wasting your time and empowering them. And, Sometimes they're going to make different decisions that you wouldn't have made and learning to be okay with that. So that I think should be a whole other episode. Um, It's something that I'm still working on. I'll always be working on it, but um, just not something I knew anything about before. So we'll leave it with that. Uh, guys and thanks Leslie good to see you you too and my miss your face. and if you guys have not already done it go to designersgettingcoffee.com and you can grab your free mini business toolkit 
You're going to find an install day box checklist, a handy reference guide with typical design project hours, a bunch of awesome design and business tools we use, and more. So head over to designersgettingcoffee.com and we'll see you next Friday. Bye. Bye. Hey designer, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. We love to hear your feedback. For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, head over to designersgettingcoffee.com for show notes, free downloads, and more. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at designersgettingcoffee.